1 Samuel 7, verses 3 through 17. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered, answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Uh, another lengthy First Samuel passage. Yeah. Um, but uh, an, an interesting story, and I think it's most interesting because the the main character of the book, Samuel, yeah. has now just reappeared on the scene. Yeah. And we, you know, I, I've, until we started doing ODR, I, I was not even, I don't even think I was aware that Samuel kind of leaves for a couple decades here. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, the calling of Samuel happens, and then, you know, all this other action sort of picks up and you kind of forget. And then when right. he reappears, it's like, whoa, where did he go? He's and back. Where has he been? Yeah. 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 And, so, and so Samuel has literally be, been gone for 20 years. Yeah. For two decades. Yeah. Um, and and now he, he like pops back on the scene mm -hmm. and is, uh, you know, apparently a, a very authoritative figure in Israel yeah. uh, for what he does and just kind of calls them out on their sin. But you were kind of making the interesting point before we kind of jump into details, just about, you know, the Bible is interesting because sometimes we we move from chapter four where Samuel is mentioned, and then we, you know, we went through chapters five and six, 
and yeah. we're talking about how the Ark of the Covenant was was taken away and then it returns. And then chapter seven, and Sam's been gone for 20 years. Yeah. But it looks like, I mean, it's almost like a highlight reel in yeah. some ways of what yeah. Samuel's been doing. I mean, I think it's it's so comforting to me to sort of read between the lines of scripture and see like mm. the real human life that happens, mm. um, you know, and what we have is, you know, the, the main events and the main happenings, especially in these narrative sections of the Bible. Right. But, you know, it, this this kind of makes me think about how Paul, uh, this is not a super well-known fact. I didn't know it till college, but there were actually around 15 years between Paul's conversion and when he started his ministry. Right. Which is like a long time. Yeah. You know, like that's 2007 to now. Right. And so, and then, yeah, like Samuel is called by the Lord. Like it's that, that powerful Sunday school-esque story. Right. And then there's really no follow-up for two decades. Hmm. And, you know, it's it's so comforting to to think about, like, how a lot of times it, it can feel like the timeline that we live in almost feels, like, totally disconnected from, like, the lives experienced by right. people like Samuel and, you know, these other characters. Yeah. And we, we kind of miss that, like, <laughs> mediocre day in, day out, like, lives of faithfulness, you know? And... Uh, Samuel for those two decades, we, we can see that he was faithfully ministering to the Lord and you good. <laughs> he was I, I don't know what, I don't know what's come over me, dude. Um, <laughs> but he was faithfully ministering to the Lord and, uh, that clearly sets him up for where he is in chapter seven. Right. Yeah. That's a, I, I think it's a great point. Sometimes we just get in such a rush. I feel like, you know, I mean, the Lord saw it fit for Samuel seemingly to have 20 years is kind of like real ministry preparation. Yeah. And then he comes back on the scene and like, he does some amazing things in his, in his ministry. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we just don't get to see those 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so it's interesting. So he, um, he, he talks to the people of Israel and kind of right out of the gate starts talking to them about these idols that they have. Mm -hmm. And so what I see is it's kind of a, a judges scene that is still going on. You know, the book of judges, totally. the resounding theme is everyone would do what's, uh, what's right in his own eyes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you kind of still have that theme carrying on, even though Samuel was kind of this bright ray of hope when Hannah gives him to the temple and then, you know, he goes away for a while and now he comes back. And when he comes, when he comes back on the scene here in chapter seven, they apparently have all these idols that they've set up and they, yeah. the, the balls, the Ashtaroth, these foreign gods that they've like, totally, you know, yeah. placed all over. And, um, and so he kind of calls them to the carpet yeah. and, and says, we, we need to get rid of these things. This mm -hmm. is not, this is not what we're supposed to do. So interesting. If you have thoughts on, on that part. Yeah. I mean, we, that, that totally is, you know, even just starting in like Deuteronomy and like the Pentateuch, like the call to uh, remove idols from their midst is like carries throughout the Old Testament. Right. And then it leads us to this really interesting moment where Samuel intercedes for mm -hmm. the people. So mm -hmm. what do you see there? Yeah. I mean, he says he's the people come back to him and obviously uh, they respond immediately. They say, they say, we have sinned against the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so there is an awareness 
and seemingly a repentance because they also say to him just a couple of verses later that they said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And so there's an awareness and a repentance and now asking Samuel to intercede for them and to cry out to, to the Lord on their behalf. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's, you know, to me, it's it's the heart posture that needs to happen in repentance. Uh, you know, this is like true conviction. <clears throat> I, I found it helpful the other day. Uh, Thomas Nelson was talking about the difference between uh, confession and camaraderie. And oh so, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's yeah. just such a great it's yeah. such a great thing. And so some people confess, and whenever you whenever you experience true confession. There is typically a brokenness of heart. Um, yeah. I, I would say, depending on the sin, tears can oftentimes accompany like mm. true conviction. Yeah, and and there's this idea of like coming back to the Lord and a yeah. and a and a humility that sets in. Uh, camaraderie is a whole different thing. It's uh, kind of yeah. like sitting around a group yeah. of guys and just saying, "Well, I've really like struggled with this." You know, another guy's like, "Well, I have too." Yeah. You know, and then it's like you just kind of leave it there. Like, yeah, everyone's just kind of, kind of quasi confessing sin, but it's more just finding friends in low places. Is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the way Garth Brooks would, yeah, would yeah, say it. Absolutely. But uh, and so. But I think what we see here is that there's true confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've sinned against the Lord. And then, Samuel, we're asking you to intercede for yeah. us. So you had some interesting thoughts on how that kind of connects to our relationship with with Christ. Yeah, well, you know, Samuel here is a type of Christ. Like He, he totally foreshadows Christ in that his role here, the, these people come, they, they realize that they have no righteousness before the Lord, but only iniquity. And so they draw and pour out water, which I kind of read a couple different interesting takes on that. Like one, um, one commentator said that that's sort of like this cleansing, like it's a symbol of like this cleansing ritual. Um, another commentator said that water was oft, often viewed as a symbol of life. And so pouring out water before the Lord was sort of the symbol of pouring out their lives before the Lord. Um, either way, it's certainly an act of devotion and contrition. And then Samuel goes in and he he prays to the Lord for atonement on behalf of the people. And, you know, they they tell Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he might save us from the hand of the Philistines. And this ties to our one of our greatest comforts as believers is that Christ actively intercedes for his people, hmm. that he is before the Father mediating, and, and that the blood of Christ is speaking over all of our sins yeah. in you know, a song of atonement Mm. and that Christ and that the spirit partner in praying for his bride. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 34, and it says here, Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Mm -hmm. And so this is a, this is a new Testament teaching that Christ, you know, when, when he he died, he was resurrected forty days, and then ascends into heaven, and says that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, and it says that he's interceding for us. Yeah, I honestly don't know exactly what all that means. 
yeah. uh, for him to be interceding for us. But there is, there is the idea that like he is sitting there with, with us on his mind mm-hmm. and, and providing intercession for us in some way. It's kind of an interesting thought. I mean, it's something to kind of oh my gosh, to yeah. dwell on and, yeah. and that we can praise the Lord and thank the Lord for yeah. it. And Dane Ortland in gentle and lowly, his chapter on intercession is such a great, mm. um, unpacking of just like how to, find comfort in that and you know practically for the christ cove people we have so many copies of that laying around the collective so it's a good <laughs> little good little thing to come read we might could get you a copy if yeah you're yeah, yeah. Uh, um with the code odr at checkout so. <laughs> but yeah and then the other interesting thing is that this intercession is accompanied with a sacrifice mm. of a, a nursing lamb basically that for this intercession to have any power before God, that there had to be a life that was sacrificed in accompaniment with it. Right. In Christ, the true and better Samuel, he offers up his own life, yeah. the ultimate sacrifice, so that his intercession never grows faint and never loses its power. Mm. And, you know, then I think sort of the implication, you know, it doesn't just stop there. Mm. The gospel doesn't only comfort us, but it also gives us a charge, which is that we ought to go into the world and intercede for the lost. Mm. You know, that we aren't to just live nice, comfortable lives knowing that, you know, Jesus is sort of like picking up our dirty laundry behind us, but that we ought to like let the wonder and Mm. beauty of that news Mm. charge us and that we should long for other people to experience that freedom and joy. Preach it, dude. Yeah. I I love it. That is, that is so great. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the story continues and Samuel, like in verse 12, he says that he, he took up a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and he names this stone Ebenezer, which is a cool name and one that a lot of us are familiar with because of the song come thou found. Yeah. And we, I, I think we oftentimes like sing that first part and we're like, we have no idea what an Ebenezer is, but like, it sounds cool and we keep singing and it's got some other cool lyrics. But um, but but come thou found, you know, where it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Uh yeah. and so Ebenezer is talking it, it literally means a stone of help. Yeah. And so you, you kind of have Samuel who pushes the idols out of Israel, mm-hmm. as it were, and then he's going through all these towns and he's like setting up these Ebenezer stones mm-hmm. of the Lord is our help. And so it's yeah. it, it's almost like the the superhero has like come back to like you know restore order yeah. and is kind of reversing all this very dark period of the judges mm-hmm. um, to where you know Israel will hopefully return to the Lord absolutely and we'll see whether they do or not as we continue. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> all right, for Will Carlisle, I'm Barrett Fisher. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. 
We'll meet you again tomorrow for our daily rhythm.